0: And uh, Good to be in the House of the Lord. We live in difficult days, and um, there 's a lot of things going on in our world. We as a church want to be involved and prayerful to, to be involved as god 's people, um, helping where we can, whether it 's in Ukraine or whether it 's in our country. but you know we want to be involved and, and uh, so it 's good to gather it 's good for us to gather, so we spend time together in prayer that we spend time seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord's care for people, and getting to know one another each other as well. And tonight is a great opportunity for you to get to know other people as well. Uh, come back tonight if you can. I want to encourage you to be here tonight. Last week we showed you the trailer for the movie that we're going to show tonight. We're not going to take the time now to show that trailer again. But this movie is well worth the effort of coming back even if the roads are a little bit slick and the fire feels warm and the coffee pot is, you know, more, you know, tough, you know, come on down. Be here at 6 o'clock. This movie is worth it. You know, there are many, many good Christian movies that are being made, a lot of good movies out there that we can watch. Sometimes we get now a little inundated with all the media, and it's just another movie. But the message in this film, in this movie on, on Sabina Wormbrand and her husband Richard is a tremendous blessing. The gospel is clearly presented and it dovetails providentially exactly with what we're studying in the book of Romans in chapter 13 and how we as a church need to be involved uh, even in very difficult times wherever we may live. And so the Wormbrands found themselves living under Nazi occupation in Romania, and uh, you'll see that story unfold. The Wormbrand were were born Jewish, had converted, they convert to Christianity, born again, he goes into the ministry. I I think I've told you this before, I still remember as a kid, on two occasions, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand came to our church, and um, he stood up in the pulpit and shared the stories of persecution and what he went through, um, not only during the Nazi occupation, but then under the Soviets when he goes to concentration camp and unbelievable torture. I was probably about the age of my grandson Thaddeus, one of the times when he was at our church, and I still remember him sitting down in a chair. If you watch the movie on his first one and the torture that he received, I remember him sitting in a chair and taking off his shoes and him calling all of us kids up, and showing us his feet. And how they had been just brutally beaten and destroyed. And I remember that as a kid. I remember talking to my dad after that as a little tyke. And saying, Dad, why would anybody do that to him? And uh, wrestling with that. And we live in difficult days today, don't we? Amen. With what's going on in Ukraine. We need to be in prayer for the church in Ukraine. I, I spoke this week with Eric Mock. Eric is um, one of the—he's the executive vice president of Slavic Gospel Association. Uh, we uh, support missionaries with SGA. The Belikovs are pastoring in the region of Oral in Russia. They also support better than two thousand um, independent Bible-believing churches in Ukraine. And I asked him, I was like, so what's going on? You know, what's that dynamic between these Russian churches and the Ukrainian church? And he said, the Russian church is weeping. They are devastated by what's going on. And um, they are, you know, just heartbroken. If you want to be involved in outreach to the Ukrainian church and Christians at this time, you know, when you just give money... Online, and you don't know where it's going, you don't know how it's used. But any money that we funnel through SGA goes directly to Bible believing Christians to be distributed in Ukraine. So it's boots on the ground, pastors, church leaders, Christians just like you who are then able to reach out and help their neighbor. And so this is money that then goes directly, and every dollar of it goes there, goes directly through the church to meet physical needs, but also then is tied back to the church to allow for gospel accountability and interaction. So, on SGA's website, they lay this out. They're doing outreach in Poland and in western Ukraine as well as in other parts of the country that are under bombardment and uh, in very difficult places, but there it's very fluid and people are having to move. But if you give $15 and you market for this, it will get a bag of groceries for a family to give them something to eat in the immediate crisis. If you can spring for $70, $70 provides what's called a winter warmth kit. And so in that winter warmth kit, there are blankets and other things that can be used by people because when they're fleeing, they're leaving just about everything. We've all seen that on the news. For 215 bucks, you can get what's called a family, a family survival kit. And this com- contains, you know, garments, winter clothing, food, and medicine, so it provides quite a bit. Um, you can, if you, if the Lord lays it on your heart and you want to give towards this, you can mark it as such in our offering plate, if that's what you want to do. It's also very easy to go directly to SGA, Slavic Gospel Association. I'm a dummy when it comes to finding stuff on the internet, internet, and I was able to get there, so I know you can do it. Okay? You can go to Slavic Gospel Association and you can do it right there. And uh, they have it set up very easily where you can make a choice on what you want to purchase and you can do it. So either way, if you want to give in the offering plate, we'll pass that on. If you want to give uh, through SGA, do that as well. But as a church, this is a great opportunity that we have as individual believers to make a real difference in people's lives and uh, to enable the church as well uh, to do outreach. So come back tonight, 6 o'clock. I already talked about that, the movie tonight. Um, kids, uh, Amy and I sat down and watched it, and I trust Amy um, much more than I trust my sensibilities. And, and uh, we together don't think it is rated PG-13. But there's nothing there that I don't think most kids could handle. Um, it may cause you to have some good conversation as a family, uh, but I, I think it's you know the the one we watched a year ago would have been a little tough for little kids. Obviously, that was that was a little more intense. You know, along that line too, talking about uh, Christians and persecution, I've been just like hammering on Andrew and Noreen Brunson from. Turkey. Andrew was in in prison, and um, went through some real extreme persecution there. And just really ministered to me about a year ago when he was in Cheyenne with the Pastors Network. Anyway, finally got him to commit. They're going to come this summer, so you're going to get an opportunity to to hear Rich or excuse me, Andrew and Noreen, and uh, to have them really bless and minister to you, as well as we're going to try to get. Uh, for one session or two on a Saturday, a lot of area churches to send pastors to really hear his message on preparing ourselves. This is what God's called him to do. He says, I really believe what my calling right now is by the Lord is to go to the American church and to prepare it for facing persecution. Uh, Because he he really believes it's coming. The beautiful flowers here at the front are in honor of Rita Mitchell. Um, we miss Rita tremendously already. Just a dear sister in the Lord. And uh, we're going to miss her her life. You know, she she left quite a legacy, not only in her family and friends, but in this church. And um, so these flowers are in honor of her. Make sure you take time as you can to, you know, say things to the family, to minister to the family, be a blessing to them as well. Um, as they go through this, obviously, time of sadness and grief. Um, but as a church, we just so appreciate them as a family and Rita. And uh, we're thankful for her that she's with the Lord. And uh, we can all look forward to that day when, you know, for me to live is Christ, but to die. That's I read something in a news article a couple weeks ago that just really jumped out at me. And I wanted to allude to it. And by no means am I, like, making fun of this or denigrating it. I'm just making mention of it because I think it's an important teaching issue. The diocese of the Roman Catholic Church in Phoenix was, like, put in a huge quandary because they had decided that about oh, several thousand baptisms that were performed in the diocese were invalid. Nobody saw that. And they determined they were invalid for this reason. When the priest performed the baptism, instead of saying, I baptize you, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He said, we. We baptize you. One word. I or we. And it invalidated those baptisms. What do you do? Tell everybody you've got to come back and get it again? And I'm not making fun of it. What, what, this is an important teaching point. Here's the point, and I want you to think about this. Our salvation, the validity of your baptism, the validity of us coming together to the table, is not dependent, number one, on like getting the magic spell right. Saying the exact right words. And if we don't say the right words, somehow what we did didn't mean anything to God and it didn't help you at all. That's also true when you pray and ask the Lord into your heart to be your Savior. There's nothing wrong with like a sinner's prayer and, you know, praying that with someone. Nothing wrong with that. But listen, you're not saved because you got the words just right. No. It's an issue of the heart and it's an issue of faith the Lord's table, the sacraments, we talked about them in the catechism just briefly, the effectiveness of their work in your life is not dependent on a priest or a human intermediary to make sure it gets to you perfectly. It is the church's sacraments, but they are dependent upon faith, the faith of the recipient, not the faith of the officiant. It's the recipient. So if you come to the table today, you know, we don't, I tell kids this too when I do a baptism. It's not, it's just water out of the tap. It's not holy water. We don't do something special over it to bless it. This is just grape juice and cracker. The validity of it is dependent on you. On the state of your heart. Your faith. So many times we're like that man in the Gospels who we cry out with. We say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. We sin. We fail. We come to the blood. We claim it. Sometimes we sit in our seat and we you know we're just like oh lord you know I feel unworthy. Look, the table is not for perfect people. It's for forgiven people. Who are walking in faith and trusting in what Christ did. He said it is finished. It's important we know that. Romans chapter 13, Romans 13. That's one of the oldest songs that we sing. But the message of that song is tremendous. Written by a guy named Bernard of Clairvaux, St. Bernard. Old sacred head now wounded. You know, they change words sometimes now because, I guess... You know, we got to have new words sometimes. So in that one verse, it says, you know, assist me with your grace. And it always drives me nuts. Because what he said was, vouch safe for me thy grace. I don't just need his assistance. I need him to stand in for me and keep me safe. He vouches for me. We sing and assist, it's okay. But I like that word. i, I got to take a minute to and give some praise to the Lord. If I don't do so, I would be remiss. I hate talking about myself. You know, I've been on a journey six years ago on Father's Day. I, I'll, I'll never forget it because I'm not like a mystic. But I was sitting at the kitchen table. It was a beautiful day in June. And uh, church was over. We, Amy and I, had had lunch. And I just, it was just a beautiful day. And I was sitting there and I was reading my Bible. I don't remember what I was reading, but I remember the Holy Spirit just impressing on me. You're going to go through a period of trial. Just went through the rest of the day and kind of packed it away. Woke up at about 2 in the morning With stabbing pain in my back, which any of you have had a kidney stone, know what that feels like. I'd never had one before, but man, that hurt. The kidney stone wasn't the problem. It was what happened after it, as you know, and some infection that has just had me for six years on a continual up and down. Uh, This, I guess it was right after Christmas in January, I got the COVID. And uh, I was in getting some treatment. I got the monoclonal antibodies, which really helped me. Thank the Lord for it. But in conjunction with that, it was very obvious to the emergency room that the COVID wasn't what was my problem. It was the other infection. I ended up going to a new ENT, and he then sent me to an infectious disease doctor that I had seen years ago, the same doctor. I have had in the last six years, I don't know, it'd be interesting to look, because every time I go to a new doctor, it's like a book of all the paperwork i got to give them. How many cultures I have had. You know what a culture is to identify what's growing in you. There has never been a culture that grew in six years, not one. They would come back and say, You don't know, got you know, no they knew I was sick, but they had no idea what it was. It never grew. Two weeks ago, the infectious disease doctor in Idaho Falls tried again. On Monday, she talked to me on the phone and she said, We got it. It grew. For the first time in six years. She said, We now know what it is. The drugs you've been taking, this is totally resistant to all those drugs. She said tomorrow, she wanted me to do it on Monday. I couldn't get there. On Tuesday, I started a round of IV treatments at Star Valley Hospital on a different IV drug. I got to do it for two weeks. Did it for two days. Holy cow. I could do a dance. I feel human for the first time in six years. I, I mean, I've got to give glory to God on it because I, now that they know what it is, I mean, for months, and I don't want to talk about me, but I'll do it anyway for a minute, but for months, I've been just eating everything I eat with baby food in a blender because it's the only thing that would go down. Friday night, I had three helpings of meatloaf. So, I mean, now I'm going to be struggling the other way. But I mean, it is amazing to me. Now that they know what it is and what drug kills it, holy cow! Thank you, Lord. I got so I got another. I got to go right after church. I got to go back for another IV. I've got at least another week, of everyday IVs. Maybe I may have to do it for a month. They don't know. They're just doing blood work to see how it goes. But now that they know what it is, they know they got the right medicine. So all I can do is say thank you, Lord. Anyway, Romans 13. I, I, I had to say that just because it's a praise for me. I want to say something. Let's give God the glory and the power of prayer. Amen. Amen. And I think, you know, you who have prayed for me, for Amy, and stood with us through this, thank you. You know, and of course, they don't, I mean, it's a resistant thing. They hope that this drug will completely... Now eradicate it, you know, who knows? But at least now they know what they're dealing with. And that is, that's like huge. So, thank you, Lord. Romans 13. Let, let, let's jump into this. Thinking about authority for a few minutes this morning. It's already quarter after 11, so it's only going to be a few minutes. But I want us to draw our attention to what is in these verses, again, concerning the governing authorities. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. The authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities Resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Look with me to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you for your grace to me as an unworthy sinner to save me. I thank you, Lord, for your grace to give the doctors some wisdom. And I thank you, Lord, uh, for the diagnosis. We thank you that all authority is yours. Nothing in anybody's life here today is outside your control. No matter what happens, no matter what your plan is, help us to trust you. I know, Lord, that when things seem hopeless and things are dark, it is really hard to trust you. I pray for the people that are here today that are in those dark valleys, that, Lord, they will look beyond their circumstances and see that you are a good God. You loved us enough to send your Son. You have adopted us into your family your spirit lives within us. Lord, you have gone to prepare a place. You will receive us to yourself. Bless us in your word for a few moments this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's think about authority today, but let's just do a real quick review. Uh, we, we looked at basically two aspects of this and what is our responsibility. And we began by talking about the church we made reference to the fact that the church is a transnational organization. It is a transnational body. It is not bounded by any one, um, by any one national boundary. We are we are all in Christ together no matter where we live in the world, and together we stand under under the authority of Christ. And so the church is to be the conscience of the state, and the church is to speak truth to power. The church is not its job, its role, is not just to parrot the state, to do whatever the state says is right. The church is to bear witness to what is right and to the Word of God. That is the church's role. Now, the rule for Christians, for us as individuals... He lays it out at the beginning of the chapter, let every soul be subject or in submission to the governing authorities. That's the rule. Are there exceptions to it? Yes, there are. But we have to be very careful because we want to make the exceptions the rule. God tells us to submit, to walk in submission to authorities that He places in our life. Now, as Christ followers... Whenever laws are enacted which contradict God's law, then civil disobedience becomes a duty. It becomes a duty. You'll see that on the movie tonight. Richard and Sabina Wormbrand wrestle with it. They struggle with it. And they say, as a believer in Jesus, we have a responsibility to shield the Jews from those who would kill them. It's our duty. It's not just an option. It's a duty. And then at the end of the war, they say, we have a duty. And the duty now is to hide the Nazi soldiers from the Soviets that want to kill them. You'll see that on the movie they say we have a duty. So here's the, accept, the rule on the exception. Whenever the state commands what God forbids, or it forbids what God commands, the duty is to obey God rather than man. So if the state commands, as Pharaoh did, the mother and father of Moses, they were commanded by the state to kill their male child. Their duty was to protect their male child. That was their duty. If the state forbids. Darius forbade anybody in his realm to pray to any god except to him. He forbade them. He forbade... What God commanded, which is we are to pray to God. We are to worship God. So what did Daniel do? His duty was to obey God rather than man. So the exception is this and nothing else. We talked about that last week. You can't say, well, I don't like that law. Or I just don't want to obey that law. That doesn't fly with God. This is the exception. Now let's talk about authority for a minute. When we think about authority, we're thinking about power. In the Bible, there's two words for power. In Romans chapter 116, we have one of those words. It's the word dunamis. In 116, he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God because it is the dunamis of God. It is the power of God. Of God. It is a power of might or of strength. The gospel is God's might and strength. And it is displayed among us, and we trust in Him, and that is how God, in His might, displays His power to and through us. When we are talking here in Romans 13, we're talking about a different kind of power. We are talking about the power of right. And I'm not talking like right versus wrong. I'm talking about right in the sense of position. Someone who is an authority is someone who has the right. So if you drive through the town of Thane, and you're going 75 miles an hour, the police officer is sitting there by the bank, and he sees you going by... It's not whether or not he's strong enough to stop you. It's what? He has the position or the right to stop you. Why? Because he has been entrusted with authority. And that authority gives him the badge and the position to enforce the law. It is a position of right. Or authority. So these are the two different concepts. Now what he's saying here is all authority comes from God. Ultimately, everybody in a position of authority is placed in that position of authority by Almighty God. And all authority derives from Him. That's what we're looking at in the verses that we just read. And when we resist authority then we incur on ourselves judgment or condemnation. He's not there talking necessarily about eternal condemnation. He's talking about judgment here, that the authority bears the sword, and he doesn't bear it in vain. He has the right to enforce the law. You resist him, you might just get tasered. Right? Why? Why? Despite everything that the news media wants to say, when I act like an idiot, he has the right. He has the right. We have entrusted to him the authority to deal with the transgressor. So it is the power, it is authority. All authority comes from God even those who don't recognize it. And I want to look at this in a minute. I want you to go to Daniel chapter 2. Would you go there to Daniel chapter 2? Daniel is in the Old Testament. There is a very important scenario that unfolds in Daniel chapter 2 in a dream. Technocrats and global elitists right now are talking a lot about the Great Reset. Climate change activism and COVID extremism has kind of coalesced together in a world environment where the World Economic Forum has come out with that great word that we've all heard, the Great Reset. They want to take this opportunity to fundamentally alter society and personal freedom. They want to enact green energy policy in a way that will transform, as we are seeing, our pocketbooks. And all this stuff is going on, and then onto the world stage steps of Vladimir Putin throwing a monkey wrench into it all. Clashing ideologies, clashing visions, and clashing goals. The Great Reset. I want us to understand something. If the Lord tarries, and who knows if he will. This may be the last chapter in human history. Who knows? If the Lord tarries, I do believe that a hundred years from now, kids will be reading about these events in history books. This is transformative. We live in the era of the Great Reset. But you know what? What? I don't think it's the reset that these elitists are projecting. I think it is the reset of Almighty God.
1: Amen.
0: And they have goals, and they have plans, and they're going to institute them. and man tried to build the Tower of Babel, and God confused them. And God can do it again. And I think, in front of our very eyes, the moral decadence and humanity's rebellion is being reset by Almighty God. And who knows how that will play out? Who knows? But you better screw down your hat. It might be a bumpy ride. Barring the Lord's return. The important thing to recognize, though, is this. Those men who are in authority, whether we're talking about Vladimir Putin or President, President Biden, elitist technocrats that sit in high-rise apartment buildings in Copenhagen and Brussels. They do not act independent of God's plan. All authority is his. In Daniel chapter 2, the most powerful man in the world at the time, King Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. He sees a statue with a head of gold. He sees part of the statue, limbs and chest, torso of silver, belly and legs of bronze, and feet of iron and clay. And he has no idea what he's seeing. And in that dream, A stone is cut out, but not with human hands, and it comes rolling down a mountain, and it crushes this statue, and it lands on it, and it pulverizes it into dust, and it grows and becomes a mountain that fills the entire world. Nebuchadnezzar is concerned. This is like no dream he's ever had. He says to all of his astrologers and to all of his wise men, I want you to tell me what my dream means. And they say, well, tell me the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, no, you're all a bunch of liars. You'll just tell me what I want to hear. So if you're really of God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me my dream and then tell me what it means. Oh, they know they're in trouble. They say to the king, no one's ever asked anybody to do that. How can we know your your dream? Only God knows your dream. Well, that's the point. And he begins to kill them all. They come to Daniel, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to begin to kill them because they are within that genre, that class of people in the palace of the king. And Daniel says, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't kill us. Take a deep breath, let me go talk to the king. He goes into the king and he says, I know you want to know your dream, just give me a little bit of time. He goes and he prays with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel goes and takes a nap well, why did he go and take a nap? Because that's where he's going to have a dream. And God gives him the dream. And then God tells him what it means. And I want to just notice the end of the dream. I want to just notice the end of the dialogue here. I want you to notice, in verse 44 of chapter 2, he says, and in the days of those kings, this all depicts the empires of men. And God says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. That kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, will break in pieces every kingdom of men. And that kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, will bring them all to an end and it will stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain its interpretation is sure. Nothing's going to change this. Why do I bring that up? The reason I bring it up is this. When we read in Romans 13 that all authority comes from God and it is delegated to men, we need to understand that all authority that comes from God and is delegated to men is done so as a part of the unfolding of His plan. That God is working out in human history a plan to destroy the kingdoms that resist Him and to replace them with His kingdom that shall stand forever. Now, when we think of this with authority, let's look at some things that are important. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, this is testified to concerning Jesus Christ. Jesus, He, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn who is over all creation. In the ancient world, that's not saying He had a beginning. He was born. It is is pointing to the legal climate of the early world that the firstborn was the heir of everything. He was placed in a position of preeminence. And so here it is saying concerning Christ, He is the preeminent one who is over all creation. He is the heir of it all. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth. What you can see, what you cannot see. Whether they be thrones and dominions that you can see or whether they be thrones and dominions that you cannot see. Whether they are rulers and authorities that you can see or whether they are rulers and authorities that you cannot see. He there is clearly pointing to the angelic host that rules the demonic host and Satan as its leader that rules behind the scenes. He's the prince of the power of the air. And he says here, all these things, what you can see and what you can't see, all these thrones, all these dominions, all these rulers and all these authorities have been created through him and what? For him. For his purpose. To accomplish his will. Now let's think about it in this way. In Luke chapter 4. Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. There are three massive temptations that come his way. In one of those temptations, Satan takes him up and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he does it in a moment of time. Now, this is not like just getting up on the Tetons and being able to see Idaho Falls. This is something else. This is in the spirit realm. Because he takes him up on a mountain and in a moment shows him stretching from beginning to end all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says to him, I will give you their splendor and authority because it was given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want. Question, is Satan lying there? Is he lying? No, he's been under God, in the invisible realm, delegated authority as the prince of the power of the air, the henchmen of rebellion in this world. And he tempts Christ with all those kingdoms. And he says, if you then will worship me, I'll give it all to you. fast forward Matthew 28 all authority is mine all authority has been given to me when did Jesus take that back when did he take it back here's when that changed Satan had all the kingdoms and had all the nations. Jesus at his ascension says, all of them are mine. Go into all the nations and make disciples. And all authority has been given to me. So when did it change? It changed at the cross. Notice what happens at the cross. Colossians chapter 2. He erased the certificate of death, of debt, with all of its obligations that was contrary to you and was opposed to us. Your certificate of debt, which is your sin, my sin, he took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. And when he did that, what did he do? He disarmed these rulers and authorities And he disgraced them publicly. And he triumphed over them by him. Satan had authority over all the nations. When Jesus left, Jesus said, all authority is mine. And when did he take it? On the cross. So then we say, okay. Then why do we see what's going on? Here's why. In Hebrews chapter 2, this is what he says. He put everything in subjection to Christ when he died. He put everything in subjection to Christ. This is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. I got to get this where I can read it. I'm sorry because I can't quote it. He put everything in subjection to him and he left nothing outside his control. But at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So what he says there in Hebrews chapter 2 is when Jesus died God placed everything Everything in the control of Christ and under his will. And then he says, but right now, at the present time, we don't see everything in submission to him. He doesn't say we don't see everything in his control. Why? Because everything is in his control. But we don't see everybody submitted to him at the present time. So authorities acts act outside his will, but not outside his control. Amen. They act outside his will, but not outside his control. Best place to see this is in the book of Revelation book of Revelation, I took the time this week, the Greek concordance, and looked up every occurrence of the word authority in the book of Revelation. It is intriguing who God gives authority to. He gives authority to a beast. He gives authority to a beast that opposes And causes many of his kids to be martyred. And he says he gives them authority for 42 months. He gave them authority. So when we read here, and I think this is just so important that we understand. When God tells us to be in submission to the governing authorities. And that all the governing authorities were given authority from him. God is not saying all those authorities are working His will in the sense of what He desires. But all of them are working His will in the sense of what He has decreed. As we see in Daniel chapter 2. The interpretation is sure and it is certain. So there are four things that we see and I'm going to close. All power comes from God. All of it. All authority derives from God. God then delegates power to men to accomplish His will. Men will be held responsible for their actions, and believers must rely on God to accomplish that plan. We must rely on God. We don't understand it. Right? We don't understand many times. Why did God give us the president we have? Well, because we deserved it, but because it was within his plan. Why is Vladimir Putin on the throne in Russia? Because he is working God's plan. And I want to demonstrate to you this to you in closing by having you go to Isaiah 54, and then I'm done. Isaiah 54, and then we're done. In Isaiah chapter 54, I want you to notice what he says. These verses are tremendous encouragement to us. When we think about this, that God is working His plan and His will according to His way. He says in verse 15 of Isaiah 54, if anyone stirs up fighting war... Strife? It is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. And then he says this. Notice what he says. Behold, I, almighty God, have created the blacksmith. He blows the fire of coals. And he produces a weapon for its purpose. In the ancient world, that blacksmith formed a sword, a spear. He did so because God enabled him to. Today, the smith forms nuclear bombs and cruise missiles, and T-72 tanks and fighter jets. But they do so through the ability that God has furnished them. Not outside his control. Behold, I have created the smith. He blows the fire of coals. He produces a weapon for his purpose. I have also created, notice this, the guy who takes up the ak forty seven to go out and to kill. I have created the ravager to destroy. Therefore, since I am in control of them, since I enabled the smith to make the weapon, since I enabled the ravager to take it and to destroy, since all that comes from me, what does he say? Because of that, no weapon that is a fashioned against the people of God, will succeed. They can't. Because we are ultimately in his hand. And they are only accomplishing his end and nothing else. All authority, all power, comes from God. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that all things are in Your control. Lord, I imagine as people are sitting in bomb shelters and basements and hearing missiles and bombs that are raining down all around them and in various places, they not only feel fear, they feel just tremendous uncertainty. But help them, Lord, to see, as Stonewall Jackson used to say, I am as safe on the battlefield as in bed. For you are in control. So, Father, help your children there to be bold, and help your children here to be bold. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Would you stand with me as we sing our closing song together? My Jesus, my Savior Lord, there is none like you All of my days I want to pray Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have. Lord, our hope is not in government today. It's not in what we have in the bank account. It's only found in you. So, Lord, we recognize that today. We remember that today. And, Lord, we live that. Lord, as we go out from these doors, may you use us. May you bring glory to yourself through our lives and through how we live it, through our interactions with others. Lord, may other people know you because they see you in us. May we reflect you well. May you be seen and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.